need an intro. <laughs> I need an intro. I'm calling up for an intro to the morning line. What? It's gotta be good and maybe a little funny. I need an intro. What song is that movie? that movie from? What song is that movie from? No, wait. What movie was that song from? What song was that movie from? What movie was that song from? It wasn't Rocky, was it? Was it Rocky? No, it wasn't Rocky. No, that was Eye of the Tiger. No, I know, but I thought that the song Hero was from something. It was from a movie. It was from an 80s movie. Should have been Robocop. Robocop. Could have been The Goonies. I don't think it was The Goonies. No, that was Girls Just Want to Have Fun. The isn't good. Huh? The Goonies is not good. It's a hot take. The Goonies wow. is not a good movie. I can't believe you just said that. It's not a good movie. I'm so mad at you right now. Although, maybe it's because growing up I looked like Sloth. <laughs> Baby Ruth! Nerdy, unqualified, and probably indistinguishable from rambling. Welcome to the A&D Show. And welcome to the A and D show. I'm David. I'm Asper- I'm Austin. Did you say you're an asparagus? Asparagus. Austin. <laughs> well, and today we have a really special episode for you guys. Uh, it's it's going to be the best one yet, probably. It's probably because you're not on it. Because I'm not on it. Except for this part. Yes. I mean, you're here right now. Here for the intro. You're for the... here right now. Anyway. <laughs> my... my uh, so full disclosure, like I like we've discussed, I'm a huge geek, yes, big nerd, but not that big of a nerd. I could clearly. never get into Lord of the Rings. I really wanted to. I wanted to love it. Yeah, like like you know, I remember just you know when it came out, it's like you know this is like this is the greatest thing in the world. I could I could I could just never get into it. Like I tried really hard. I, I watched them all, mm-hmm. but I was never. It was never for me what it was with like. Star Wars, or or even the new Star Treks, or even the Matrix. Like, oh yeah, I just, the Matrix. I just could not get into Lord of the Rings. You know, they Thankfully, just re-released the Matrix in 4K. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I'm not. Thankfully, others here <laughs> that we know are incredibly geeky about Lord of the Rings. Yeah, in fact, that is who we have on our show today. We had I actually had a sit down interview. With who I consider to be the lead authority on Lord of the Rings, probably because I, f- I feel like he is a self-proclaimed adopted child yeah. of J.R.R. Tolkien. He probably read the books like a weirdo. Yeah, he has a dictionary, and he brought it to the show. He did. Yeah. This is the guide to Middle Earth. I just want to pop in the mouth for that. <laughs> bigger than me, though. It I'm was probably a- stronger, so I shouldn't do that. <laughs> but I really feel like, like, like if I woke up tomorrow and my wife's like, hey, why do you have a why you guide a to the Death Star? Oh, a guide to Death Star. because, like, well, there's just words and definitions. Yeah, leave me alone, Haley. This is, this or one is of those, I um, you know, I, I actually was watching a YouTube video um, about... It was a breakdown of the Millennium Falcon from Star Wars. Millennium Falcon? The Millennium Falcon. Falcon. <laughs> and it was literally, uh, had like schematics. Ooh. And it was like, and this is next to this, which is by this, but which is this. you can't even do that because it doesn't even a real thing. Like the guide to Middle Earth that Evan's got. I, I, I'm curious to know, like, I could literally put whatever I want to in there. I could be like, that's Middle Earth Mordor speak for taco. Like, and nobody would be like, oh, no, I think that's a lie. Like, no, this is correctly true. I put it in the book. You know, maybe we should create our own dictionary to all things nerdy and 
I bet you that junk would sell. We could out. call it Urban Dictionary. Oh wait, no. Oh no, no. Nope. Probably don't do that. Shouldn't do that. That's shouldn't, a bad idea. Shouldn't go to that site. Yep. Yep. Okay, so let's go ahead and get into it um, because it's just going to be a great episode. It is. It's going to be. Good. You, you, I, and, you guys will enjoy. Evan, all joking aside, Evan is versed in well versed the Lord of the Rings trilogy and the Hobbit trilogy, <laughs> and, and and I I'm not. So I'm sitting this one out, and yep. he's going to. He's very very good at this stuff. Yes, when it comes and, to Middle Earth. And, you know, and one of these days we will do an episode where we have a special guest, and you actually do sit in on that conversation and contribute to it. Can't wait. <laughs> it might be a little while because we're going to have to get another microphone, but you never know. Toto. Anyway, so let's go ahead and get into it, and uh, we'll see you guys after the show. But first, today's episode of the A&D Show is sponsored by my dear friend Kenneth over at KS Marketing. You might notice that things sound a little bit different than our normal episode, and a lot of that is due in part to our dear friend Kenneth providing us with some equipment that's really helping us take the A&D Show to the next level for our listeners. So thank you to Kenneth over at KS Marketing. Give him a look up on Facebook, on Instagram, and all the other socials, and Go to Kenneth for all your marketing needs. Now back to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the A&D show to our dear, dear friend, Evan, the, what I would consider to be the ultimate authority on today's topic. So this is going to be a lot of fun. We've got a lot of interesting questions about a really interesting topic <laughs> because I've already said that. So for you listeners out there, what we're talking about today is the Lord of the Rings, which if any of you grew up in the 2000s at all, that was one of the biggest film franchises uh, of, this, of the decade. I mean, <laughs> the, the videos were, the films were great. Uh, they spawned a, a uh, prequel trilogy in The Hobbit, which wasn't quite as good, but it was still really good. And we have with us today, Evan, the... The extreme Lord of the Rings <laughs> fan <laughs> and the uh, ultimate authority on all things Lord of the Rings, other than he's next to only there only one person as above him, and that's Mr. Tolkien himself, who is dead. So, <laughs> so we are excited about having Evan here, and we've got a few, got a few questions. So, Evan, what do you do? You want to say anything to our listeners? Uh, I'd just like to say I'm glad to be here today. Glad to be on the show, <laughs> on the show in um, the hot seat. Yes, the, the lights the are a little seats. little little intimidating. Yes, yeah. in our uh, live studio audience, definitely warm over here. Yes, thank you for that round of applause. Our, our live studio audience doesn't actually do anything because they don't exist. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and uh, just looking forward to trying to do my best to answer some of these questions today. So. Okay, so okay, so the whole point of this episode, right, is that I recently took it upon myself to rewatch the extended editions of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, right. Yeah, and that was 12 hours of your life. <laughs> <laughs> it was great, but I had some questions. Like I I I I caught myself watching the the episode or the episodes. I caught myself watching the films and thinking to myself, "Well, what if this happened or what does this mean?" And so naturally, I came to you because you're the only person I've ever met that knows as much about it as you do. <laughs> so <laughs> I do have a couple of questions, and I thought we could just kind of jump into it. You down? I'm down. Let's I mean, you're here. This. You're hooked up to a microphone. I'm not going anywhere else. <laughs> not going anywhere else. That's right. All right. So, first of all, this is kind of a question that kind of 
it kind of transcends just Lord of the Rings because it's about the Hobbit as well. But first of all, what if Gollum hadn't known who took his ring? I mean, anybody who's familiar with the books or the films, the only reason why uh, the Ringwraiths know that the ring is in the Shire in Hobbiton is because Gollum knew that Fro- or Bilbo had taken his ring, right? Right, right. And so he's like, Shire, Baggins, or whatever his weird voice is, right? <laughs> right. And he he's like, uh, they're like, oh, let's go to the, let's send these guys with the big cloaks and the horses with the nails in their hooves and junk, and <laughs> we'll go and we'll take it back. No big deal. Tiny people, no problem. Tiny people, tiny problem, right? Right. So... What if that had happened? What if what if he hadn't known? Like, does it derail the entire story, or would he have found out some other way? I think it definitely delays the story. I, I mean, if he hadn't known who had the ring, because he was told where who had it and mm-hmm. where it was at. Yeah. So he knew exactly where to start looking. Um, I believe he would have probably spent a good amount of time looking around for this. For right. this ring that he has lost, you know, yeah. he's running through the tunnels for who knows how many years looking for this. I mean, right. Which kind of, and that's, that's kind of like, like the last question you should probably ask, right? <laughs> There's a lot of other questions right. that, that come up when you watch this. The, and you know, and really what it boils down to, I think we've talked about this on the show before, but really what it boils down to is because the plot needed it to be that way. Right, right, right. Tolkien probably wrote it specifically so that the plot can move forward because without that detail, the plot's kind of at a standstill. Yes. Right? There's so much area there that so many things could happen. Yeah. And so to keep the story moving along, you had to give some of the details away. Right. So without giving away too much, they only gave away a last name and... Just enough. Just enough. A last name and where it's at. Yeah. But they didn't say pinpoint exactly where it's at because the Shire is not small, but it's not huge either. Mm-hmm. It could be a lot of places. Exactly so. how many square miles is the Shire? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I may not be that good. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Okay. So that brings another question. Um, you know, what if Elrond... Okay. So let me back up. So the beginning of the story that you see, the Fellowship of the Ring, right? It kind of, now in the film, it doesn't necessarily do this in the book, but in the film, it gives you a little bit of a history, a bit of a narrative about the ring and what it is and who created it and how it all kind of culminated in this battle between elves and men and orcs and Mordor and all this other stuff. And it comes to this final moment, right, when... Uh, Isildur has the ring. They're inside Mount Doom. They're on the little gangway to the edge to toss it back in there. And Isildur just says, it's mine. And he keeps it, which cascades itself into the entire rest of the series and and story. And my question is, why why didn't Elrond just push the dude into the fire himself? With the ring. I mean, because when you think about it, the ring only, uh, you know, the weakness of man, right? Right. Because man is, is really tempted by power, whatever the, whatever the narrative understanding of the race of men is in The Lord of the Rings. They're 
easily corrupted by power, right? And he's got the most powerful ring, power, ring of power in his possession. And so he's just quickly corrupted by it, right? Exactly. But is it not Elrond's responsibility to take action against that? I mean, he took him in there. He wanted him to throw it in there. But why did he, why did he not just, no, it's mine. And then Elrond's like, fine, you made that choice for yourself. Yoink, and just shoves him into the fire himself. Right, well... Part of part of what I see in this area of the story is Eldron, when it comes down to it, yes, he's an elf, but that does not exempt him from being tempted himself. So him in the back of his mind, even though he knows what needs to happen when he, when Sildor says no, that doesn't mean that he's necessarily going to be all four going up there and just pushing him in because that's the easy way out of it because... In reality, in the back of his mind, he's going, well, I don't really want to destroy this ring because there's a chance that I may be able to use this, too, because uh-huh, okay. cause I've got some power, too. And so I've, you know, I've, I've got a pretty high uh, – I'm on a pretty high throne being king over this, you know, group of elves that, you know, I could use this to some – to some authority here. Okay, so what and you're, what you're telling me? Oh, let, me pause you, let me pause you for just a second. <laughs> the, the, the Shire is eighteen thousand square miles. Oh, oh, you looked. You <laughs> are the ultimate authority. Up. I just looked this up. <laughs> <laughs> we wanted to be clear on that. I appreciate the fact. For those of you that are listening to this, you can't see what we're what I'm seeing. But <laughs> let me let me see that for a second. Evan brought with him his own personal. Let me read this to you. It says. Tolkien's world from A to Z, the complete guide to Middle Earth. And it's literally as big and thick and wordy <laughs> as the entire series, if not more so. And it's literally just a dictionary. Literally everything you want to know. <laughs> so everything and I a lot don't of things know, you probably I don't want to know. I mean, yes, exactly. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but just making that clear 18,000 okay. 18,000 square miles okay so now that we know the scope of <laughs> and the scale <laughs> of the shire we can understand how difficult it would have been yes. via our first question to find them even though they had a last name right right um because they didn't necessarily know they were in the town of hobbiton until they actually went to the shire according to the film yes because yes. he goes and he's like Shire, or whatever the word. And they just went to that <laughs> and general he's like, area. No, Baggins was here. They're all in Hobbiton. And he points and he's like, cool, man. Thanks. That's <laughs> what the ring reads. See you, bro. See you, bro. Appreciate the intel. <laughs> anyway, um, so, okay. So what you're telling me, though, about, about Elrond, right, is that he elected not to do what needed to be done on his part. Because he had already suffered through some of the temptation of that ring itself, him, uh, himself. Yes. I, I think this, well, it also displays itself in uh, Gladrail whenever Frodo at the mirror of, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember the name of that, but or her mirror there in Lorreen, he offers her the ring. Mm-hmm. And, and she, she turns said into that like it a would, witch or yes, something. Yes, she says that it would make her a queen too powerful for any man to uh be ruled over so or ruled over by so she says keep the ring do it yourself you're you're stronger than i and so Hmm. that right there is a good example of why i believe if eldron would he couldn't do what needed to be done as Mm -hmm. far as just 
pushing in a sill door and just saying, "Oh, we're good now." You know, right. everything's everything's all better. There was that underlying temptation. The whole so, time, kind of I like believe. the similar idea of when Frodo offers the ring to Gandalf. Yes, and Gandalf says. I can't take this because I would take it with the desire to use it for good, but through me you would wield only evil. Only evil, I guess. Okay. Yes. That was a nice quote, right? Yes. Did I, I, like did I quote that, that correctly? Yeah. Yes, you did. Good job, man. All right, all right. So it does kind of raise another question, though. What was it about? This isn't part of our, our program here, but this is just a question that comes up. This happens. Welcome to the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, what happens? <clears throat> um, what is it about Frodo? About hobbits, not necessarily all hobbits, but specifically Frodo. What is it about Frodo that makes him stronger than the elder elves? I mean, because Galadriel's pretty dope. Elrond, pretty dope. Gandalf, definitely dope. I've said dope three, <laughs> four times now, and it's, not, it's just getting worse. Um, but what is it about, about Frodo? Is it because of the fact that he wants nothing more than just a simple life in the Shire? Has that got something to do with it? Like his love is not for power. His love is for simplicity and peace. Um, well, it could be a lot of things. Uh, you also have to think about the fact that Frodo was adopted by Bilbo. So he lost to both of his parents in a mm-hmm. boating accident. Um, didn't know that. Yes. Now I do. They were in a boating accident <laughs> and they both drowned. Uh, so maybe he's not looking for the, you know, for say, maybe he's not looking for the power necessarily. Maybe he just wants that peace or maybe he's realizes that, you know, being up high in a, in a, in a high and lofty place kind of doesn't really make you better. And so he's just like, I want to get this and do this, what needs to be done and not not be searching for the power, you know what I mean? Right. Trying to be overcome by what the ring offers. Okay. And he sees what needs to be done, and he kind of uses some of his past to help him be stronger, you know what I mean? He he realizes that if you're living without those that you love, that it could be pretty pretty difficult if you have to live life like that. And so he's like, I want to get rid of those things that would try and take those things out in my life that would so pretty much it's kind of a according to what i'm understanding and this if this is wrong you're the ultimate authority please tell me <laughs> <laughs> um what i'm gathering is that his viewpoint is that the most important things in life are relationships yes and being that they're the most important things in life to sacrifice them for power is a mistake. Right. And, and you ring, can't have both power and relationship because yes. it's and lonely the ring at is the, the top. the farthest thing away from relationship. Yeah, it's it wants domination. To be it's domination. all about. I yeah. want to rule you all. Wow. You know, one ring to rule wow. them all. Dang, JR. That's some, <laughs> no. that's some deep, that is some deep, deep uh, philosophy going on up in there. All right. So. <clears throat> This is a good question, and this might spawn some serious, serious debate, okay? Okay. I thought about this because I was watching literally the first, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes of the first film, right? Galadriel is doing her exhibition about the Ring of Power and how it Mm -hmm. came into be and what happened to lead to its arriving in the Shire at Bag End, right? And she says that the Ring abandoned Isildur to his death 
and you see Amadette fall into the creek dead and it yeah, breaks right. free from the chain and it falls to the bottom of this creek. And she said, and it lay dormant for two and a half thousand years, which was a, an interesting thing to me just because of how she said it, but also because why <laughs> I don't understand. Like if, if Sauron, Sauron, I did get that right, right? Yes. Okay. Sauron is the one I would get it confused with. It was a totally different character. Anyway, so if Sauron's entire existence is bound to this ring, why on earth or in Middle Earth, I guess I should say, <laughs> right. why on Middle Earth would he let it go dormant at the bottom of a creek for two thousand two and a half thousand years? And half, yes. And also, and you may not be able to answer this one. Why was it not covered by all ty- kinds of silt at the bottom of that? <laughs> Sitting down there. Well, anyway, that's a... That's I'll answer a, the second question first. Okay. It's because they also state that the ring wants to be found. It's oh, okay. constantly calling. So it will find a way to not be covered up by all kinds of seaweed so it, uh, it pulls and a, and It pulls a, uh, uh, a Spanish doubloon yes. like in Pirates of the Caribbean. Yes. Goes, <laughs> and then it just kind of... It kind of kind of pushes everything away from it so it's right. constantly able to be found yes. okay, it, okay. Wa- it wants to be found it is magic after so it, all yes. so i mean why not it has sauron's very existence in the ring his his being is inside that ring so it's it wants to be found just as bad as sauron wants to wear it i'm just imagining I mean? this ring like the internal dialogue of this ring it's like i hate this dirt <laughs> i hate this river i hate this cool refreshing someone clean find water. me now <laughs> look at that stupid fish <laughs> look at that stupid person in that boat Right. Oh, they're gonna touch me. They're gonna pick me up. <gasps> and then it's like squeak out. You know, whatever. Anyway, that's a, that's a so nasty why dude. <laughs> it is a nasty dude? Why on earth did it go dormant for two and a half thousand years? I, I feel like you have an answer for this, and I'd like to know. Possibly, it was just waiting for the right person. It was just waiting for the right person to come along that wasn't because the ring has. It's a character in itself. Because if you remember right, the ring will change sizes according to who yeah. is the owner. Yeah. Well, maybe it saw that Isildur wasn't the one. Maybe he saw that he had really no future, that he was going to be uh, worth. Not, well, maybe not necessarily that he was going to be killed, but maybe he saw that he wasn't going to be worth keeping him or him keeping the ring. And maybe he wouldn't have is useful to Sauron. So he got rid of Isildur and waited until the right person came along. And he thought that by taking a hobbit that's, you know, so innocent and they never get involved in anything as far as, like, world controversy and, yeah. and things. That it would he, he, would be, he would be so easily persuaded, just like Gollum was. And I believe he was using Gollum because Gollum was a hobbit at one point, or very similar, or like very it, yeah. similar too. And he ha- he thought he had it. He thought he had him, you know, dead to rights. Dead to rights. Yes, and he mm-hmm. was gonna. And so, when Gollum lost the ring, well, maybe he's not worth it after all. We'll find someone else similar to him. So that's what it took, is it, Bilbo? Bilbo. Yes. That's that's kind of what I. I that's a really I interesting. That. that is a really interesting theory, and didn't quite have the conversational prowess that I anticipated. <laughs> <laughs> But it is an interesting concept, the idea of, you know, because I'm sure that you've done your research on this. Clearly, you have a dictionary about the whole book or the whole series. But I've heard a number of times that the stories were written as kind of like pseudo-Christian themes, not Christian stories, but stories that embodied Christian themes and that, you know, Tolkien kind of 
he kind of tried to work in these specific elements intentionally to um, teach his children, I guess, as like bedtime stories or something, right? right? To teach right. his children things about Christianity, but to do it in a way they didn't realize that they were getting it. Exactly. Right. Versus, you know, the contrasting contemporary of C.S. Lewis, right. who was very overt about his uh, Christianity and his themes of Christianity he put into his, like, uh, right. the in Narnia the, books or whatever. In the introduction to The Lord of the Rings, I remember, uh, I can't remember exactly word for word what he said, but he he did state that The Lord of the Rings is not, he did not write it strictly as a, a uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of? A mirror, basically, of what the Bible would try to portray, uh, you know, the Christian story about, you know, Jesus uh, dying on the cross and and saving humanity and all this. He's like, I didn't really make this book to have Christian aspects about it, but he says, feel free to derive from this whatever you like. Well, and the interesting thing about it is that uh, anybody that studied... um, what are what's and, and this might be a word that our leader our reader listeners readers because this isn't written anyway mm-hmm. our listeners may not be familiar with this word but it's called hermeneutic which is your yes. worldview right and there's a lot of things about the worldview of every person and of even people that you know kind of disown religious beliefs or of any kind or whatever um, there's an interesting thing that a lot of things that are meant to be anti-God end up mirroring God because of our nature. Anyway, this isn't, this isn't about the religious side of it. This is just right. about the idea, the lore right. behind it. But, um, so that's, a, that's an interesting question because there's a lot of really cool themes. That being one of them, that, that the evil in middle earth was lurking and waiting for the most corruptible. And it, what it ended up finding was the least corruptible. It backed, it backfired, it backfired on itself. Yes. They thought they were going to try and grab another person oh we can easily persuade this person and use him to yeah. to be evil and it backfired because they just happened to pick the wrong one right <laughs> i th- i think that's that's a solid uh guess on my i mean there's so many things that could happen and so many reasons why it took two and a half thousand years but right that's kind of how i see it i mean you know, it could also be argued, I guess, per- perhaps, I mean, I'm not by any, by any means an authority on this, but it could also be argued that two and a half thousand years was a specific parallel to our modern culture Very because well. it's been two-ish thousand years right. since Christ walked the earth, right? two and a half, two, two and a half, somewhere in that, in that range. It's funny because speaking of that, as a side note, I always hear people like two thousand years ago for like the last thirty years. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's like two thousand years ago since the Revolutionary War, you know. Right, <laughs> and so it's all, it's like two thousand is always the like the go to. Right. Anyway, um, but it's been two ish thousand years ago that Christ walked the earth, the savior of humanity, the savior of all the world. Right. Right. And it could be possible that it was a two thousand year. I don't know. Well, I don't know how and, that would really well, tie in, but since the beginning of time, since well, since the beginning of time, there's always been there's been the good in yeah. in uh God, but then there's always been that evil side too. Yeah. And so maybe that two and a half thousand years is Satan trying to show himself, you know what I mean? Yeah. In that in that he's trying to find someone to okay. take over the authority. But think about this. This is kind of a, I don't know, take it, take it or leave it. 
Take okay. it with a grain of salt. Bring it. So Christ lived and died and was resurrected two-ish thousand years ago, right? Two and a half, two, two, two and a half, something like that. And since that time, the enemy has lurked and waited and tried to take over the hearts and minds of people and has succeeded with several, but none of them have really had any lasting effect on all of humanity, right? Right. At one point, they're right. shut down. <laughs> right. Because of the sacrifice of Christ. Right. right. Now, it's not an exact parallel, but look at the ring of power, and Sauron was ultimately defeated by one instance, right? Mm-hmm. In fact, it was an instance of death because, what was Isildur's father's name? Isildur's father? Yeah, the king that died um, trying to fight. That's a... I can't remember his name. Uh, oh, that's going to bother me. I should know that. Look it up while we, while we talk about right. it. You have a dictionary. I will. So anyway, Isildur, uh, or the father, the king, right, sacrifices himself. And then if, uh, because of that, it's not necessarily his sacrifice that causes the downfall of the enemy, per se. But it does strike up in Isildur the desire to fight back. Right. So he takes... His the shards of Narsil, and he cuts the ring from Sauron's finger and basically completely undoes his power. But then, two and a half-ish thousand years later, the entire thing is happening uh, to, you know, the enemy is trying to, like, pick up, and he's using whatever means necessary to corrupt the the world, right? Right. First Isildur, and then he's got... Gollum for 500-ish years or however long, and then he's poisoning Bilbo unsuccessfully for a good amount of time. Um, and then he moves to, you know, just bounces basically from character to character. for a, Which I, If I ex- remember right, the the amount of time that Gollum had the ring was somewhere around 500 years. Yeah. Which was far beyond what any hobbit would normally live. Right, so right. That just and tells well, you even how, Bilbo, like, he had it for, what was it? Bilbo 80 years or something like that? 80 or 90 some years, yeah. yes. And he lived significantly longer than a hobbit would. Yes. Um, well, maybe not. I don't know. Anyway, so I don't know. I just think that's a really interesting question. Now, the last question I have before we finish up today's podcast is, and you, I hope, I hope you have an answer for this because I'm really interested in this. Um, where, okay, so in the, in the final battle in the return of the king, um, the armies of Mordor come out through the Black Gate, mm-hmm. and they pretty much surround Aragorn. Aragorn? Aragorn. 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 They surround him and the other rest of the armies, the the, the horsemen of um, Rohan and all this other stuff. They surround him in front of the Black Gate, and they begin their, their bout to attack. They're fighting, whatever. And then, on the other side of Mordor at Mount Doom, Frodo wins, right? Right. Loses at first, pulls a Solomon, <laughs> turns evil in the last second, right? Redeemably, I guess. And then, but then Gollum actually is the one that saves the day, bites his finger off. Spoilers, sorry, and <laughs> falls in, and the ring. You Which know, I have. Can I stop you right there? Yeah. This reminds me of our very first question about why didn't uh, Eldron push in Isildur? Which, if you remember right, uh, Sam had the opportunity. When uh, to push Gollum, Frodo in, he had the opportunity to push Frodo, and when Gollum bit his finger off, uh, 
And if you remember right, he was himself tempted to keep the ring. Mm-hmm. So that there, I think, also bases my my reasoning on why I don't think Eldron would have pushed him in. Hmm. Because just like anyone, he's going to be tempted too. But anyway, continue here. Okay, so the question I have is, after the ring is destroyed mm-hmm. and the tower falls... And everybody's like, yay, it's over. <laughs> the army, is. what's cool is that the actual, the entire land of Mordor caves in on itself. Yes. Right? And a good 99% of the armies of Mordor fall into this chasm. Right. And my question is, it just kind of occurred to me when I was watching the films. My question is, where are they going when they fall into that? Could it possibly be Casa Doom where the... Um, isn't that the name of the place where the the Balrog is from? Yes, Kazadum. Kazadum. So, like, could it possibly be they're going there? They're falling basically to the depths of hell. Um, that's a that's a theory. Uh, Moria is quite a distance away from uh, from Mordor, but there's no uh, saying that it couldn't happen. That there isn't a chasm that opens in the ground and they all fall in and basically right. It was the cleansing of Mordor, so all of right. the evil would fall into the hole, and then eventually they would. I mean, there's no way they can get out of there. So they. Well, the interesting thing to me, when I watched, I think it was, um, the two towers, when it shows, uh, Gandalf's battle with the Balrog, right? Mm-hmm. They fall into, Khazad-dûm. Yes. They fall for a long time. They fall all the way to the bottom. Yeah. And they land in this pit. And then next thing you know, they're on top of a mountain. Yes. So is is it... And hopefully you have an answer for this, because it's going to burn my brain if you don't. <laughs> but is Casa Doom one of those places that maybe like it's a subterranean ecosystem? Is it, or is it just the dark pit with the water that they all originally fell into? Well, I think they give they give away the illusion in the movies that... And and really, even in the books, that it's only what the dwarves made. But I'm with you on this. I think that goes a lot deeper than what... Because they themselves didn't even know what they were getting into. That's why they found the Balrog to begin with. They right. dug way deeper than they intended and found the the demon that was put there. Hmm. One of actually the last remaining Balrogs. Of was he trapped there? Was he put there on purpose? Like like as a prison? Yes. And so they inadvertently, through mining and being and selfish about it. all the gold and things that they were digging up, they accidentally uncorked. It's it's a it's kind of a symbol of their greed because the dwarves they di- they dive so deep into their greed, di- digging they, and digging and digging to the point that it kind of came back on them. Wow! Once they found the the demon that was placed there. Uh, that Balrog was actually a side note. That was a special kind of, because not all Balrogs had fire. Um, they weren't just engulfed in flames and could breathe fire and such like that. They were originally just regular like beasts. They were still huge and menacing. Yeah. But the fire was a special thing, and I can't remember the dude's name at the moment, but he was a elf that basically cursed uh Curse, curse the dwarves, and so he put his power into this special Balrog, which was one of the last few left. Mm. And they, he hid it in Moria, and that's whenever they dug down deep enough, they found. They wow! Found it. So that was kind of a, kind of a symbol of their greed. Hmm. 
But. That is really, really, really interesting. Um, and it makes you, it begs the question. There's a, our, our conversation today, Evan, has got me thinking that there's so much more about Middle Earth and its history and about things like the Balrogs and Casa Doom and right. things like that that could be so interesting to research or to have films or shows made about. And so hopefully, um, was it, who was it that created, was it Lionsgate Universal? Who was it created? New Line Cinema. New Line. New Line Cinema. Um, not a sponsor. Hopefully you're <laughs> listening to this, Peter Jackson, and you guys dive deep into some of these kinds of ideas because I think this would be really cool. I'd love to see some information created or a film or something about the history, the entire existence, everything leading up that 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 pre two and a half thousand year period that led up to that war that we see at the beginning of Fellowship of the Rings. That would be awesome to see broken down and done more with. Um, you have anything else, Evan? Um, not. No, I think I'm good. Okay. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. It's been a little bit different, a little special. We certainly geek out yes. on Lord of the Rings, and we might do another part on just exclusively on The Hobbit, uh, which is going to require another 12 hours of research on my part to go rewatch all of them. <laughs> but we may get together and do another one. And um, show your love to Evan. Leave us a review on today's episode and on our podcast. And um, until next time... We don't actually ever sign off that way. That's weird. Let's not do that. <laughs> I think so we usually professional. we usually end with some kind of snarky thing that goes into the into the outro music. But today, let's just let's just outro. Boy, howdy! That was quite the conversation. Riveting, riveting, and it was just so much, so much stuff to be talked about. And you know, I guess we'll just have to dive deep into it again with him with the hobbit because we didn't even touch on that one yeah but there'd be another one i've not seen any of the hobbit movies wasn't there a guy in lord of the rings that like when he saw the rings he goes who is that guy there's so many of them actually there's there's column and well anyway all the ring raids you see you now now you listeners see why i wasn't a part of this You just—it's—it's it's good for all parties involved. I tap this one out. I mean, you're you're hating on the Goonies, and then you're hating on the Lord of the Rings. No, 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 no. I'm not hating on Lord of the Rings. I just wasn't. But you did hate on the Goonies. I did. And that is just—that's a tragedy of epic proportions. No. Yeah. Although, listen, I will say this: the shuffle, the truffle shuffle, is how I got my wife. So. 